What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Game Scoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. Joining me this week are Tina Amini. Hi, everybody. I don't know why we're laughing, but that's Sam Claiborne. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here, everybody. And Justin Davis. Scoop. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll talk about the game that unfortunately had a devastating experience on PlayStation Plus. Uh, there's some uh, some people out there that believe Breath of the Wild 2 may be too big to run on the current Switch, leading some to believe maybe there is a Pro Switch on the way next year. But first, I need to let everybody know, a few weeks ago, I took a couple weeks off and, and Tina t- uh, hosted, took over the, the steering wheel for GameScoop. And uh, the whole reason I had to step away because we were shooting this new reality show with the game publisher Rogue Games called Rogue Jam. And I hosted it and it's finally going to launch next Monday, April 18th. So this is a, we'll get a good shot of my crotch there. Uh, this is a- <laughs> I was going to say, it was a good belly shot. <laughs> More belly shots. <laughs> Interesting crop we have going on there. Anyway. <laughs> this is where we've got some, uh, you know, indie developers from around the world competing for a publishing deal and cash prizes from Rogue Games, and then our judges. We've got a, like sort of like an all-star lineup of judges, including Nintendo former Nintendo of America president Reggie Fizeme, Per Schneider, co-founder of IGN.com, and some other fun faces. Five episodes. It starts next Monday, April eighteenth, nine a.m. Pacific. You can catch it on IGN's YouTube, IGN.com, and IGN One your samsung tvs and there'll be new episodes every monday so check it out i'm excited for you all to see it you should especially check it out because damon does a wonderful job hosting thank you it was was really fun i agree good good show so far really fun just tell us who wins well okay here we go i think i won because like (laughs) i got to spend a week straight with reggie fils it was so cool that's how we we got our intel that won um game scoop 20 questions That's true. For the Wii franchise. For the, for the Wii Fit, right? Is this mm-hmm. part of the Wii or is part of a series? Yeah. yeah. It came straight from Reggie. The Wii series. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, before we dive into the news this week, Sam and Tina, unfortunately, you missed our Game of the Year Watch episode last week. We talked about what might be sort of front runners for uh, Game of the Year so far. Lots of talk of uh, both Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West. Also a little bit of Tunic. I just wanted to get you, allow you guys a chance to weigh in. What would be your like your front runner for game of the year so far, Tina? Um, well, I was going to throw it to you guys. Uh, is Elden Ring yours, Damon? Uh, so this is what we talked about last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm like so. I I love Elden Ring, but I'm like I'm deep into it. Uh, mm-hmm. I finished Horizon Forbidden West, liked it a lot. Under normal circumstances, that would be my front runner, but now I'm like enamored with Elden Ring. So I'll have to see. We were talking about this last week. Like, am I going to be able to beat Elden Ring? It sounds crazy, but I don't. I'm like, I'm still with it. I've played it longer than I did Horizon now. At this point. Wow. And Justin, I don't think I was it a Lego game. <laughs> um, <laughs> Does that count? Well, yeah, I, I did pick that project back up. And so as a result, like, you know, I have Tunic and some other games sitting on my hard drive. I think the only 20, the 2022 game i've played is like kirby <laughs> that would be in the mix and then kirby's really great so i guess it kind of wins by default so far yeah yeah i'm kind of in the same boat um we have a process at ign for listeners who might not know where at the end of the year a bunch of us will get together and make sure that we have both the the time and the access to make sure we catch up on games that we may not have played throughout the year to make sure that when we're doing best of voting or as qualified um, and uh, as knowledgeable about the year's games to make those sorts of decisions. And we have policies, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff for you guys. We have some policies also where you can only vote in a category if you've played about like 75% of the majority of uh, what's in the running. And we make sure we have conversations in advance. There's a whole process to it. So Mm -hmm. by the end of the year, even if I've played a a majority of of titles leading up to it, by the end of the year, there will be all these indie games and other games that I haven't had a chance to, to dive into um, Elden Ring, as listeners might know, I, I fell off of that uh, to make room for Ghostwire Tokyo. And then I fell off of that to make room for uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Um, and that one I've been most consistently playing recently because it's also tied to social experiences. So I'm mm-hmm. keeping up with a friend uh, together as we play through. So that's been occupying a lot of my time. So I feel like by default, mine would maybe be, and this is a bit of a cheat so far, but honestly, Wordle still has my attention. Wordle. Okay. Yeah. It's like every day I have to do my Wordle and it makes me feel real smart because I, you can absolutely game the system. It's not just about guessing random words. Like you're, you're actually trying to compete against your own leaderboard and there are yeah. specifics around like, okay, I know this letter is here. 
and I have a starting word and I have a secondary word as needed, but that might, that strategy will change if there's a specific letter that I wasn't anticipating. Um, I like words. It's part of my business. So I hope I like words. Uh, so all of that has been, is I've really been enjoying. I'm still playing Zookeeper World pretty obsessively. There's <laughs> new a new levels. April update. Yeah. And I'm already done with all of it. And I already like <laughs> gold starred like maybe um, 90% of the new levels. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm really, really enjoying Wonderlands. I don't think it's going to be part of my, I could see it being like part of my top 10 because I'm really enjoying it, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to be like a game of the year front runner outside of the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm saying Wordle, but I'm almost sure that this conversation is going to be so different in the coming months, especially because we're in a bit of a dry spell right now in terms yeah. of big game releases. We talked about this again last week. I, I think, unless I'm wrong, I think Saints Row in August is the next mm. big AAA game currently with like a release date. So yeah, it's, I mean, we're in a dry spell. Yeah, I'm a little alive. bit. <laughs> okay. Right. Again, Saints Row in August. <laughs> very rude. Very rude. Uh, was Wordle actually released this year? Oh, no, I don't even know. Like, it blew up this year, so it counts. Oh, okay. Oh. I guess no, it, so. It but if it released last year, I wouldn't really count it. Yeah. In the same way that Zookeeper World totally does not count, even if it has like new level releases and new content releases. So I guess Tiny Tina, like I love Horizon Forbidden West, but I also tend to think about games that are like lingering in my memory a lot. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. my time with it, but I, I don't know, I've kind of like really quickly moved on. Maybe it's because I immediately jumped to three massive games that took my attention. And even those couldn't hold it just because there's, there were so many other things coming out. So mm-hmm. I need to revisit. Um, I need to finish Ghostwire Tokyo about maybe a third of the way through. And then I need to um, revisit Elden Ring as well because I, I fell off of that one pretty early on and need to give Same. its due diligence. Did you see? Yeah, now that Damon likes it, I'm, I want to try it again. I yeah, mean, big praise. Yeah, I really, really well, like well, it. And I, I want to know: Did you just you just did the regular warrior character, right? No, I'm doing samurai now. Samurai. Oh yeah, you mm. re, you restarted, right? Yeah, yeah. Very, but this is very early on. I started with I think vagabond is just sort of like a basic yeah. warrior character, and then I'm now I'm doing samurai. Mm-hmm. But Tina, did you see director James Gunn's recent tweet about Wordle? No, what did he say? He did, he did the screenshot thing and he said, well, this is embarrassing. And he like, it's like wrong, 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 wrong. And then the very last one, it was Squad. Oh, it was uh, just directed the Suicide Squad. So. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a rough one. Sam, how about you? Any front runner for Game of the Year so far? Well, first of all, I want to also shout out Wordle as being like, one of the, I mean, it's it's the most talked about game this year. That's not Elden. That Elden Ring is too. It's really broken through the mainstream. But I, I think it's really cool to have like a mainstream breakthrough game like that. It's always exciting. But it's lasted a lot longer than previous ones. Like, you know, even Draw Something, I feel like was over mm. faster than Wordle, and it wasn't as tied into like an ongoing, um, you know, uh, interest and in, and in, in kind of craze. And Pokemon Go lasted for a long time, so example but um uh so for me yeah it's absolutely tunic i I don't have any question i think it's uh, a wonderful artful game that uh is just amazing to play and scratches a lot of the itches that you know i have as a zelda fan as a fan of hard games which i know elden ring should do too and then uh, of course it has this like amazing artistically included retro tie-in of like yeah manual and and it's just it's just full of surprises and wonder and uh i hope everybody plays it i i just i it's it's a lovely game. I need You're, Starfield to come out. Yeah, yeah well, because that's gonna be a big contender. Bit. Yeah, just a little. Yeah, Sam, I really liked what I played of Tunic, but now like I've, I've it's been so long since I played it, I'm like scared to go back to it. So mm. I feel like I'm just gonna be so just completely lost. Maybe I'll just have to start over. I don't know. Yeah, that that happened with me a few times during playing it, but I picked back up. Moving on to the news of the week, uh, Breath of the Wild two. Experts, experts at Digital Foundry, uh, think it might be too big for the current Nintendo Switch. Uh, commentary on the, the latest trailer that was released. They point out the volumetric clouds in the footage would be hard for the current launch switch to pull off. And that while camera cuts with perfect anti-aliasing are something even the Xbox Series X struggles with. So they said it could be the next switch or it could be just that they rendered out a trailer on higher resolution with higher settings. However, they say that Nintendo doesn't generally do that with trailers, rendering them or release them at a, a higher quality than the final product is going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what, what, what to make of this. It could just, you know, like I was saying, like it, it doesn't with the trailer, it certainly doesn't need to be like real time 
footage, a, a capture of somebody playing in real time. But uh, also, the original Breath of the Wild was also a Wii U game. So it would stand to reason that now it could just be a Switch game uh, that doesn't have to also run on Nintendo's last-gen system that, of course, it's going to look better, right? I don't know. Sam, what do you make of all this? Well, so I believe it's wishful thinking with some good foundations. Mm-hmm. I think that like we all want to play Breath of the Wild on a new system, provided you can get it. Because if you can't play the new Zelda because there's no Switches to play it on, that would be completely horrible. <laughs> but... Um, you know, the the fact is that, like, Zelda has been a cross-generation launch game for the past two Nintendo console generations, and um, that's good evidence by itself. Like, you, you barely need the technical stuff to back that up. And then, you know, I think speculating based on a trailer is pretty, pretty thin, but uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting to have that discussion. You know, like, the trailer just generally looks really, really good. What they showed looks really, really good. And even and, and I know Nintendo's history. I'm glad you pointed it out. That's interesting. Nintendo really doesn't want to mislead people and then like sell them a game that mm-hmm. looks a little bit crummy. That is a very un-Nintendo thing to do. So yeah, take that with whatever grain of salt you're gonna salt with a big salt rock <laughs> that you chip out of a, a cliff and. Well, that's not a grain at that point. Then that's like a block of salt. Yeah. It's a grain for a goron. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think um, we. Yeah, we, I'm in total. Sorry, Damon. Well, no, I was just going to say, um, I think we can safely say it's not going to be like an ex- exclusive to whatever the next Switch would be. Like, it would definitely be a cross-platform game. There's, there's no way that all the people that own a Switch now are not going to be able to play Breath of the Wild 2. But go ahead, Tina. Um, I was just going to agree. Like, those are all, like, the smart assessments um, that the D- the Digital Foundry crew made um, and all the things that I was thinking of, too, when this conversation was happening was it seems really not Nintendo-like to take that risk because the blowback on... I mean, just take a look at like from from the days of Bioshock Infinite to Spider-Man Puddles to No Man's Sky. Like, that's just not a risk that they're going to be taking. Uh, They're very particular about the fidelity of their titles and the preservation of um, their IP and how that's being represented, how that's being spoken about in many, many varying ways we've seen. Um, So I, I don't suspect that it's going to be this sort of misleading what do we used to call them like they we used to call them bullshots Bullshots. yeah yeah because there were bullshot screenshots were were a thing so it's like screenshots yeah so now it's like a a bullshot whatever for trailers um that you know i don't think that nintendo that's going to be nintendo style but we're a little bit overdue for and you know switch pro there have been rumors or maybe wishful thinking circulating for a while and I think that the OLED edition of the Switch didn't quite do it for people as far as being like this true upgrade um, from Mm -hmm. the Switch. I don't know that a lot of people, uh, you know, even when the news of that was coming out, we were all kind of speculating like, eh, not not necessarily super keen on um, or super in a rush to to make this upgrade. So I can see that being launched as like a day and date thing, but intergenerational in the same way, Sam, to your point that, you know, the other um, launches were for their previous transitional uh, generations between consoles too. So that could definitely be a strategy to sell new consoles and have that be an entire marketing machine on its own and helping mm-hmm. promote both the game and the new hardware, mm-hmm. but still being available on the older switch too. It's just a theory. Sure. Justin, I know you follow, mm-hmm. you know, any, any new hardware with a keen eye on the commerce team. What do you make of all this? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring up the commerce perspective specifically because it feels unlikely that Nintendo would launch a new console next spring because they would have to announce it before this holiday season and they would lose out on a holiday season's worth of sales, right? Like the uh, and and I know people might be saying, well, the Switch launched in March. But the thing is, Nintendo was really, really keen to have people forget the Wii U and to move on from that console. Wii U was, they had. It was already dead, right? Yeah, it was already dead. And so the Switch um, is already selling like crazy. It continues to be the best-selling console um, every single month. Um, it's never had a price drop. It's still $300, and they're selling as many Switches as they can make. Um, and so to... Like, why? Like, why launch a new a new piece of hardware they're they're already not competing head to head with uh microsoft and sony and you know some of that's bs like of course they're competing with microsoft and sony but like but they're they're untethered to like that console generation now right like it, it's it, you know they're not sort of playing by those same rules so why why launch a new switch yeah plus it was supposed to the game was supposed to come out this year yep there's there hasn't been any sort of hint that a new switch was coming this year I, that, all, that did happen with Breath of the Wild. 
the the uh the, yeah well that's what happens like zelda games get delayed and then they end oh. up spanning generations because they yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, the princess also I see what you're saying oh, okay so there uh, one theory is that since it got delayed then it could launch alongside this new version yeah gotcha. yeah gotcha. You, you know also the, a couple other things one is that the next switch will probably be more like this switch uh, unlike you know the jump from GameCube to Wii or Wii to Wii U, where there's like these big differences, like the Switch is that successful that like an iteration probably makes more sense for Nintendo's next thing. Uh, and by that I mean like the Switch's difference was that you know it is a portable and a and a, a console. So it's like that problem. Like I can't imagine Nintendo moving away from that ever again. So it's probably not that big of a jump. Uh, I wanted to add also that uh, that um, Nintendo is the best developer for Nintendo. So, mm. you know, aside from, you know, the technical analysis from the trailer that somebody did, mm. uh, that besides just this game looking like remarkable on Switch is is within reason because Nintendo is, is you know, de- basically works back from their hardware to make it work mm. for their software. And like Breath of the Wild was meant to be amazing on the Switch. Breath of the Wild 2, like basically the system is built to make to play this game. So, you know. Yeah. Hopefully it'll look amazing, even if there's a next gen system, and it's on that. Like, you're, if you're going to play this on Switch, I think it's going to be remarkable based on their track record. There. Mm. The uh, the the line of like, oh, Breath of the Wild Two is too big to run on the Switch reminds me a lot of like, <laughs> you know, like like Atari Jaguar. Like, you need 64 bits to run this game. It can't possibly run on your old 32 bit console. Like the the phrasing of too big, which. I recognize and acknowledge as a shorthand for like, you know, the frame rate and resolution and aliasing and all that stuff. But it did sort of make me laugh and harken back to the days of like the bit wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whenever we do our, uh, whenever we do our magazine reviews, there's always something that's a little bit like in retrospect, there's always something like, well, they clearly didn't know how that was going to go. (laughs) The the Genesis had blast processing. And so that was a big advantage over the super Nintendo. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, um, I think that Sam is exactly right. Like the people at Digital Foundry are smarter than I am. I don't know what a lot of what that <laughs> stuff even means. Um, but um, but yeah. like, you know, it, there's a long and sort of storied history of people squeezing more juice out of old hardware than analysts and other people thought possible. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. It's impossible that this is that that we're seeing this and experiencing this, and yet you know Naughty Dog have never found a way, right? So yeah, that's a good um, example. Yeah. You that's know. a good point because, like, theoretically, the same was being said when this new generation launched. Geez, has it been two years? Yeah. Um. Yeah. This this new gen when this new generation launched, oh. like a lot of the games that had released initially yeah. for it, there was a lot of commentary from the development community of like this isn't even quite nearly what technically is possible. So who knows what theoretically we might see the line, even just out of this own generation while people are adapting and um, figuring out their system, which is again, kind of comes back to Sam's point of Nintendo understanding their own hardware better than any other developer. I was going to pitch to Lucy. Maybe I still will. Like, I don't know if it's a video feature or what it is, but something that compares the launch games on a system to like the final games on a system and just shows how much on the same hardware, how much more developers have figured out how to, how to push it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you've said it officially on the record now, so it's gotta be done. Yeah. I don't, I I'm afraid if I bring stuff like that up, they're going to ask me to do it. And so, yeah, (laughs) maybe you can write the outline and and tackle it elsewhere. This is this is work being done on the way. <laughs> it's true. Like Last of Us Two and like Red Dead Redemption Two, like put those up against you know any uh, first gen launch title you know stuff from that generation. They're like they're <clears throat> unbelievably advanced, right? Yeah. Um. Okay. In any case, we're still about a year out from the Breath of the Wild from Breath of the Wild Two. However, we're going to play it. We shall see if we. We'll see if it can fit on the, uh, at that point, six-year-old <laughs> launch Nintendo Switch. Did you know that this week is the 30th anniversary of Link to the Past in the U.S.? I think uh, I read something about I, that. And I yeah. never associate that with the spring Zelda release. So now I have that in my head, too. It's like, oh, maybe mm-hmm. like Zelda in the spring is something that even predates my understanding of the Switch, you know, Breath of the Wild delay stuff. I will say, you know, your consoles follow like a life cycle in your own head of like, they're new. Like it's this new, like the PS5 feels like this new alien thing in my house. And then eventually it feels like, oh, it's just normal. It's a normal thing. And the consoles both feel they've entered that second phase of they feel like a normal thing in my living room now. But then there's an even more sad third phase where they start to feel old. 
And like the Switch, like playing Kirby was the first time where I'm like, mm-hmm. this console kind of like Kirby is a beautiful game. Like it's really, and it's really fun, but like the hardware itself doesn't feel like the screen feels small and not that great anymore, which I guess the OLED model fixes, but like yeah. it's just starting to feel a little creaky. And for me personally, like it's intangible, but like there's some invisible line where a piece of hardware crosses where like your phone suddenly feels old, your game console suddenly feels old. And I've, I personally have reached that with the switch as of now where like, I, you know, I didn't feel that last fall. Mm. I've actually been playing my switch uh, a lot more recently because of triangle strategy, which I like Mm. a lot. Moving on, uh, launching into PlayStation plus was apparently devastating for odd world soul storm comes from Mm. Lauren Lanning, founder of odd world inhabitants, uh, long time, uh, Oh, it was sort of a big deal when when they launched Oddworld and Abe's Odyssey launched on the original PlayStation. Very cool, like cinematic 2D platformers with a great sense of humor. Anyway, it sort of remade the original game. It launched into PS Plus last April. And uh, devastating is the word that Lauren Landing uses to describe it. It was downloaded close to 4 million times on PlayStation Plus. Wow. It was um, which is significantly more than what they expected to sell, which would be 50 to 100,000 units. So instead of selling 50 to 100,000 units, 4 million people download it for quote unquote free. Uh, that is apparently devastating to him. But of course, they didn't lose out on 4 million in sales, but maybe they lost out in 20 or 30,000 of their originally broadcast or originally forecasted 50K. This comes from comments on uh, landing appeared on the Xbox Expansion Pass podcast, which must be a typo on IGN. Obviously, this is the only video game podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't check out. He said there's nothing. There was nothing malicious about the deal they made with Sony for PlayStation Plus, but it ended up being a double edged sword. Uh, I, I guess I, I, you know, it was also available. The, the, the curious thing to me is he, they said that um, they were already struggling getting across the finish line. <laughs> Sony approached them with this deal to launch on PlayStation Plus, but that was supposed to launch in January. Then it got delayed to April. And their thinking mm-hmm. was that, well, in January, this is only two months after the launch of the PlayStation 5, so there's not going to be that many units out there that we can sell. Anyway, let's just go on to PlayStation Plus. But it also launched on PS4. So that's where it doesn't add up to me. Well, I, uh, like, I completely believe Lauren Landing, and I'm sad. You know, I really like the Oddworld game, so this story may be sad. But it does kind of fly in the face of the conventional wisdom of how platforms like Game Pass work, which is, yes, like, you know, PS Plus and Game Pass, many millions of people are going to download your game. But it has this halo effect of, well, it'll increase sales on Xbox and on Steam and on the other platforms they're on. And then usually I think they also see, like, a spike in sales when... um when it's not available on that service anymore, where people that missed it or forgot about it, like through word of mouth, like, you know, I think the idea is that it's supposed to be a net positive effect, which Mm -hmm. obviously is not universally true, but, um, you know, disappointed to hear that they didn't have the experience, the positive experience that we've heard some other developers have going, uh, participating in programs like that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, like, you know, as a developer, an independent developer, you're weighing the decisions of, like, what is my priority in this instance? And clearly they were, they had financial priorities towards the end of the game, which is a constant struggle from what I understand. Um, because you're trying to make ends meet, you're trying to make sure your people are paid, but you're also trying to project towards your, your deadline. You have marketing cycles in between that. So obviously a bigger publisher coming and offering this as like a safety net and an opportunity to keep you afloat a little bit more is appealing. But then you, you know, you're weighing in your mind, what's my priority in terms of what you're looking to get out of it? And then what, what do I feel is the the ultimate familiarity? And perhaps part of the understanding there was that Oddworld would not need the kind of word of mouth that perhaps like, you know, other developers um, that are launching a new IP uh, might be more interested in and might be prioritizing more. So I can sympathize with uh, the concept of projecting what you're going to be getting out of an experience and then those expectations not being met and feeling like if you had the knowledge of how things played out, maybe you would have made a different decision. But ultimately, like all of our commenters, for instance, in our community and our audience were saying that they would not have picked the game up. Um, obviously, this is anecdotal because it's just a fraction of our audience commenting over there. But a lot of them were saying that they wouldn't have picked up the game. And so that visibility 
wouldn't have you wouldn't have gotten that visibility were you not to participate in the PS Plus program. So it's really just a matter of priorities as it comes down to it. Yeah, and I guess I should say, you know, I'm I'm the target demographic for this game. I played the originals and I like them. But I downloaded it. I think I probably mentioned this on GameScoop last year. I downloaded it for PS Plus, spent some time with it, and I was kind of like, eh, it just doesn't really have whatever I liked about this game back in the day. I don't think it's really here now or, you know, games have moved on. So I don't know. I think maybe if the game were of higher quality. Mm-hmm. I do yeah, want to. Yeah, that's the other. Uh, there is just a little bit of an error in my own logic as I've been sitting here thinking where PS Plus games stay in your library, right? Whereas Game Pass games do not. So if you're on Game you Pass for a certain time, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so then you get that impact of like, ah, Yakuza is not on Game Pass anymore. Like, but, but you've raised your profile and now you're going to increase your sales. And maybe that PS Plus, like it's in your library forever. Like maybe there is a little bit of a, uh, an important bit of nuance there and the difference between how the two operate. Mm-hmm. So our review also mentioned um, that it was a fairly buggy experience for our reviewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's also something that people forgive a lot more when they feel like they pick something up for free, quote sure. unquote. Sure. Um, so, you know, maybe the, the think there's like a there's potential for more of a positive experience from people. And then that word of mouth to follow along there because people are saying, oh, it's free. Might as well pick it up. It's a little bit buggy. But, you know, in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things, all things considered, still a good experience. So that that is the trade off that you're still kind of gambling with in that in that moment. So I don't know that, you know, would would they have gotten four million purchasable sales uh, it, had they not been participating in the PS Plus program? Probably not. It probably would be a fraction of that. So that definitely yeah. has to be accounted for. I'm confused about the profit sharing is is I would I would think there'd be some advantage to getting four million downloads. And then there'd be some sort of like, oh, that's like a, a good number that you hit. And there's some sort of like I, I, I thought there would be something like, you know, this is this evil example but spotify right where it's like oh here's the here's the pennies for the 100,000 downloads that we we yeah. got you but you know and then that's of course not the same as selling a record because records are big right now you know they cost maybe 14 bucks to 22 bucks new and mm-hmm. you can buy them and all the kids have you know turntables and then want to buy them and, and record sales are through the roof but like that's the only thing that's like saving a lot of bands is that people want physical copies of that stuff um, that is to say, though, that there's still a there is still if you get big on a digital platform, there's still a reward for that. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how that works. Like, you know, with, with PlayStation, they're yeah. not super publicly transparent yeah. mm-hmm. about deals. The The general, I guess, assumption um, is that you get kind of like a lump sum. So you, you make like the it, deal. Right? Yeah, you make the deal under the understanding that, you know, and then in, in a lot of cases, like for Game Pass, it'll be like, all right. We'll give you this amount of money, and when and the agreement is you're going to be on Game Pass for free on day one for an exclusivity window of a year, and then from there you can go on PC and whatever other platforms. And then so theoretically, you make the assumption as a developer of okay, well if I'm part of that and I know that Game Pass has this you know positive reception, it has a lot of subscribers, it'll get people in the door, especially if I have an IP that is unrecognizable and I want people just to experiment with it and develop a sense of word of mouth marketing. I'm going to bank on that. And then in a year, when I've gained mm-hmm. that kind of traction, it's going to mm-hmm. be up for sale in other places because mm-hmm. my exclusivity contract would have run out and I already made my money off of it. But yeah, I don't think mm-hmm. there's like an incentive program like that. Yeah. So, so in that sense, uh, if you're... If you, go ahead, Justin. Well, I, 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 the Game Pass and Apple Arcade, again, they, they are meaningfully different than PS Plus, but they do... I don't know that this is like a universal truth across all their contracts, but we know like developers have talked about how they're incentivized a bonus for user sessions. Like mm-hmm. the number of times, like if a user plays a game for 10 sessions across 10 night, nights and that's on Game Pass, that's better and more lucrative for them than if someone installed it and played it once or mm-hmm. redeemed it and didn't ever play it. And, um, you know, they are in a little bit of a different business in terms of audience building than PlayStation is. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's very possible that in PlayStation, it's just, it's more transactional of, we're going to pay you, you know, whatever, a million bucks up front. And then we're going to, we're going to give away your game for a month. But they care about, they really care about um, sessions and engagement, mm-hmm. both, both Apple and Microsoft do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's really too bad. Sad story. Uh, you know, Oddworld is like, they were being modest with their, their sales expectations, 50 to a hundred thousand copies. They think they could sell, you know, it's not like, you know, we, we could talk about in a minute, Witcher three has sold over 40 <laughs> million copies. Like for, 
comparison. They're being modest with their expectations. They're having trouble getting their game finished. They say, let's take this deal from Sony that will allow us to get the game finished and it'll go into PlayStation Plus. Since it's free, maybe it will double, you know, <laughs> the amount of people we can reach. But then, like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a game aimed with, like, it's not a casual game. It's aimed at a hardcore audience. An audience that probably does already subscribe to PlayStation Plus. So I bet they saw very little sales actually is actually released because everyone just played on PlayStation Plus. Four million people download it. They sell very few copies. Yeah, I, mm. I could understand how that would be devastating to them. It's too bad. Moving on, as I just mentioned, Witcher 3 has now sold over 40 million copies. Let's go to the big board. Where does that put it in the uh, sales of all time? Now, depending on how you want to count things like Pac-Man and Tetris that have just been on everything, it definitely puts Witcher 3 into the top 15 games. Top 10, 15 best-selling games of all time. Wow. And it's right behind Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead 2 is at 43 million. So, <clears throat> you know, there's going to be a, a new, you know, at some point there'll be a next-gen version of Witcher 3. So it could definitely yeah. hop over Red Dead at some point. Well, hold on. There could be a next-gen version of Red Dead as well. That's true. You're, that's true. But unannounced. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, but the, yeah, the Witcher is actually coming. Or is, uh, yeah, coming, well, it was delayed, but coming eventually. Sounds like a threat. It puts out even more, than, even more than Skyrim. Skyrim's closer to 30,000. 30 million, sorry. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. All uh, the platforms? Is that all the platforms or just like on one? I find that hard to believe. Like, I wonder if we, I wonder if we stopped getting like Skyrim sales data after like, you know, year two or something like that. Maybe. Or like Steam doesn't roll into that or something. Oh, no, it should. It should. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. I, I would have never, never predicted Witcher 3 to outsell Skyrim, which had been around for like, you know, five more years and on more, you know, more platforms because it was older. Yeah. Um, the, 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 it's usual suspects in the top 10 is Minecraft, GTA, Wii Sports. PUBG is in there though, which is interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting that PUBG gets to be in there because it's not free to play, although I think it did recently go free to play. Yeah, I remember it being like 1999 forever. Something like that. But what yeah. I, an interesting thing that I noticed here, you have to get down pretty far. It's not until like Witcher 3, which is, again, maybe the 11th, 12th, 13th best selling game of all time. It's not until you get to that that you find a game that has no multiplayer component. The top, mm. the best selling games of all time have a multiplayer component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why we got all those multiplayer modes that were bad in the in the 2010s. Yeah. Sells um, games. What was number one? Is Minecraft number one? Yeah, Minecraft is number one, and it's like it seems unassailable. It's like 238 million compared to 160 million for GTA Five. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, there's new eight year olds every year. That's true. <laughs> Okay, and now we turn back the clock to April 1994. I'm gonna share my screen. Do this little workout here. Okay, so we've got the April 94 issue of Game Players Magazine. Not as well known a magazine as your EGMs, your Game Pros, uh, but I did. I looked it up. It ran from 89 to 98, and it only covered Sega and Nintendo. So as opposed <laughs> to the other guys that are doing like Philips oh. CDI and the 3DO, these are just Sega and Nintendo. Okay. All the way to 98. Surely PlayStation snuck in there at the end. Well, okay. As of right now, as of yeah, 1994, yeah. they were only doing... They got, got it, got it, got it. I like how the front cover says scoop. <laughs> <laughs> they got a scoop on virtual race oh, racing. Yeah, yeah. They also gave uh, Rise of the Robots the cover story, and I think they, uh, they slightly overestimated how good uh, Rise of the Robots would end up being. We'll see. I'm not even aware of that game. It was a robot fighting game. The robots and big muscles. Anyway, game players says, don't buy a game until you've read this. And actually, it would end up in its last iteration, its last one or two years, it would be called Game Buyers Magazine. Uh. This is an ad for, uh, what, programmable controllers. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yes, this company, STD Entertainment. Oh, no. Always <laughs> good. <laughs> Always good to see I them. I think that out. But I, there's... They're programmable gamepads, and I just have to read the copy here. The copy says, and I'll, for emphasis, some of these words are in all caps. So it's, whoop, there it is. Are you into sports games or what? 
then you're going <laughs> to love this stuff. We won't bore you with the techno babble. That's capitalized. Just use our advanced controllers and you'll jam harder, pass longer, and play faster. You'll be so pumped up that your competition will be afraid to leave the locker room. So stuff is capitalized because it's what the guy's doing on the basketball hoop. He's stuffing the ball. Yeah. Uh, Why are they allowed to use song lyrics in that way? (laughs) Just doing whatever you want back then in the 1994. Well, that's why it's not whoop. It's whoop. Ah, mm. <laughs> um, the, it's a totally uh, different thing. Uh, yeah, you've got to have STD controllers <laughs> if you um, want there, the game's MVP. You've got to have STD controllers. There's a uh, there those I first of all I can't imagine how those would be helpful in sports games, and I do remember the concept of these because you could program fighting game commands into them and you know, yeah. poorly execute them. Um, but it was also good for like saving the uh, the blood code for Mortal Kombat. Yeah, sure. I remember that too. And, and then it reminds me that the Genesis launched with a three button controller, and then like a year later, they're like, "Nah!" And then they, everything six was buttons. just a six button controller instead. It's like you can't do that. You can't just change your mind. You know, Turbo is really fun, and I wish uh, you know, like that was still a thing. It's very funny. In, in old games when you just had a turbo button and it like worked so well that like Mega Man's, you know, gun would fire like a million times per second. It's so funny. Yeah. I had a couple of turbo controllers for my NES. They were great. Nice. Uh, they have a letter from the editor, Mark. And again, he's really singing the praises. He says, this month, Rise of the Robots is leading the way. You can see that Rise of the Robots with some of the most incredible graphics ever is ready to change the way you think about video games. <laughs> Once again, this, yeah, that game did not end up very well. Maybe that says something about uh, game players' ability to be sort of be tastemakers in the space. On the info track, little news bites, Tommy's tunes, Sam. You probably didn't know, don't know the name, but you know the music. During Tommy Pellerico's three-year gig with Virgin Interactive, he's composed music for games such as Prince of Persia, Demolition Man. Anyway, he had a CD coming out. Mm. It's Tommy Pellerico's. Greatest hits. Funny. Uh, and of course, these days, he was associated with the uh, Intellivision Amico, but not right. anymore. What? <laughs> I didn't what? know that. Oh, yeah, he's off. He's off Amico. Yeah. Whoa. I have research to do. It's a vaporware console. Oh, I mean. <laughs> uh, they had a little some info on Project Reality, which would go on to become Nintendo 64, of course. Oh, that's a whole, cool. A whole feature on uh, the Sega Channel, which actually launched this year and was a thing for a couple of years, right? This is where, uh, way ahead of its time, you'd be able to like beam in Sega Genesis games over your, like through cable, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my cousins had it. I never got to try it out. Awesome. It's so cool. Uh, the uh, top 10 best-selling games list comes from Software Etc. As of January 1994, the top 10 was Mega Man X, NFL football starring Joe Montana on Genesis, Mortal Kombat on Genesis, Eternal Champions, Secret of Mana, Madden 94, Dragon's Lair on Sega CD. Whoa. I, how, I just can't believe that was a top 10 game in 1994, a 10-year-old game. I bought it. I loved it. On Sega CD? I mean, yeah, at the time. It's cool. I guess I was like, I'm a- saving so many dollars by not yeah, playing this in the arcade. I guess it would have been the first time you could play Ten an years arcade. later. Yeah, an arcade. Yeah, and it, 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 it was great on Sega CD. It actually sequenced the game in order, too. So you played stuff like as you were exploring the castle instead of just randomizing it. Um, I like how this is about CS. I mean, that's really, that's crazy to think of 1994 yeah. reporting on gaming at a convention at CES. I mean, it's just alarmingly familiar. Yeah, we must be getting close to the first E3 by this point in 94. I yeah, can't quite was, remember my E3 history. 95, 95 or 96. Boy, yeah. yeah. And then I like this. There's a whole little segment at the bottom on a VR conference is coming. So still waiting for that Sega VR to arrive in stores. Have you played the Lawnmower Man until your thumbs bleed? Then you're a perfect candidate for Virtual Reality Entertainment Forum 94, a conference and exhibition uh, coming to New York City. For the VR Mad, the conference will include virtual reality applications in the entertainment, advertising, and marketing industries. More than 50 speakers are planned, as well as more than two dozen exhibits featuring the latest mm-hmm. hardware and software. This would be over two decades before, like, That's Oculus, so right? 
It's crazy well, that they were talking about virtual reality back then. I also like, you know, it's like these video game magazines are for kids, right? And like there's some adult enthusiasts reading them, but like 12 year old me in Iowa would yeah. have been like reading this and like, hmm, yes, video game convention in New York. Excellent news. <laughs> VR, it's like so far. Oh yeah, sorry, oh, for sorry, sorry for the just, <laughs> sorry for lack of warning. This is one of those ads from the '90s. This is uh, an ad for uh, Major League Baseball on Super Nintendo. So real, you can taste it. Why are all the ads gross-out ads? What gross. is it? Shock value, I guess. Yeah, and like quirky humor. And for our listeners, it's a kid with a full um, a baseball in his mouth. At least one. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it looks like there's like another two in there. (laughs) Oh, you're right. But yeah, it's definitely some imagery trickery. Oh, it's Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball. And And in their letter, something. Listen, you guys, in their letter, something, they have something so cute where they try to connect their readers as pen pals. Oh, pen pal connection. Playing video games needn't be a solitary pursuit. You want to start meeting other guys, and this is just the place to start. So people post ads like, David says, I'm 11, and I'm looking for someone to write to between 10 and 13. I own an SNES, NES, and Game Boy, and I want to trade tips with someone or just be friends. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> but how do you, what, like, what do you do? I Just write like, David. So you share your address. They've shared their address here. So oh, anyone it's got their reads, whole address there. So anyone who reads could just write them. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like a child. I know. <laughs> A more innocent time, but also, you know, this is really yeah, seriously. sweet. This is very sweet. But now we have P.O. boxes. That's true. Uh, Peter says, I'm 14 and would like a pin pal who's interested in Genesis and or game gear. I have about 20 games for Genesis and many codes to share. Oh my gosh. I bet Peter wow. would be a hot commodity. He's got, he's got the codes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to talk about Peter now. 94. Here's, here's Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca Peter's, says Peter's 42. Wow. <laughs> Rebecca says, I've painted a Mortal Kombat. Oh, it says, Are you are some of you big time Mortal Kombat fans like I am? If you are, write to me. I've painted a, a Mortal Kombat mural and I've put up MK posters. I'm even <clears> making an MK magazine. There's only one problem. I don't have the game. <laughs> and then Alice. Allison says, I'm for this, this. Allison is a little bit. I'm 14 years old and would like to talk to others who own an SNES, NES, Game Boy, or Genesis, or who just want to be pen pals. I prefer a boy. Oh, mm. Allison, I don't know. It's scandalous. I don't know. Seriously. Um, well, the listing copy. did say for you to connect to other guys, not other gamers. So, you know, there mm. can sure. only be same. that one way connection. True. That's the same. And then they have a whole page where they ask their readers to write in their ideas for games. And the winner for the game idea of the month came from Bill. He said, I have an idea for a game everyone will like. It's called 90210DOA. <laughs> in the game, you're a real man sent out by every other normal person to destroy the cast of 90210 and return <laughs> television to its rightful owners. You run through Beverly Hills and rich families' houses to fight the evil cast of 90210. You fight Dylan, Kelly, Brandon, and the wicked Brenda as they try to kill you with their cosmetics, credit cards, and the ever-dreaded cashmere sweaters. The bonus is you get to wipe out Melrose Place. If you lose, Dylan and Brandon turn you into a wuss. Boy, somebody really doesn't like that show. (laughs) And is very familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, despite that. (laughs) I mean, there's a little bit of like bubbling. There's like some class war going on in that game idea. Yeah. Hey, go back, go back, go back. Look in the bottom left corner, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And then it's Bart Simpson in Mortal Kombat. (laughs) And and Homer is Goro. Homer is Goro. (laughs) Uh, So they have their whole feature on Rise of the Robots. They say, the distinctive look of the game is because of its ray traced graphics. What? Oh. This is 94. I don't think that's the same ray trace. Oh, it's would... because a guy named Ray traced them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, they even say, yes, muscle magazines were studied, were studied as reference tools. Muscle magazines. Wow. Yeah. Do you think, Each is that like, this is what you, exactly what you said, Justin. Each robot takes up two megs of memory. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Impossible. <laughs> uh, come on, let's show us the screenshots. I I've never even heard of this game. That, that's a screenshot in the bottom right. I mean, that, that looks incredible that for looks 94. Incredible. I, I think it is Ray Trace. Is it a bullshot? The thing yes. is, yeah, it's made, 100% a bullshot. It was a PC game first. It was made for like Amiga. And so they, what they're covering is what would be the Genesis and Super Nintendo ports. But even like the, the Amiga game wasn't that great. 
That, screen, that screenshot legitimately looks like, you know, it looks like a Pixar. There's no way that that game looks <laughs> like that. It's because be on switch. From what I can, yeah. From what, it, what I can tell, all the memory of the game went into just the look of the robots, and they couldn't do much. They couldn't even wow. move that quickly. Yeah. I okay. I got to look at. It's fine. Make it this. a robot yeah. simulator. It's yeah. perfect. <laughs> totally. <laughs> just robots falling in love. I mean, it looks. I'm looking. I'm just Google image searching. Like it looks pretty good. Really. Reviews. Okay. Even at the time, reviews were bad. Yeah. And then when the virtual console became a thing, there was some like. Top 10 games we hope don't come to virtual console. <laughs> uh, at CES, they previewed Super Metroid and the reviewer was very excited Jeez. about it. He said he, he managed to play it for <clears throat> almost two hours. I don't know, like on Whoa. the show floor. They're like, sir, sir, other people <laughs> need to have a chance to play. Please. The so rules are you have to die first and then you have to die. Die, die. <laughs> then they have some quotes from I guess just other people that were attending the show they don't work for the magazine like Jay Moon from Iguana Software says it was one of the best games of the show I look forward to playing it oh. then Brian from Sony says nothing really impressed me at the show <laughs> Metroid looked like another side scrolling action game nothing that hasn't been done before that is, that's <laughs> insane <laughs> It's absolutely like can you imagine like just like asking <laughs> We got we got to bring that back. Like I want to start asking Sony execs like what do you think about Halo Infinite? And then and then what I also want to bring back quit. What I also want to bring back is instead of the media trained executive saying, "Oh, it looks incredible." And we're proud of them just being like, "Nah, it looks like dog shit. Play our games instead." <laughs> and then they have a little sidebar uh with some uh, news bits from Chris Slate, who I should point out, he went. He would go on to be the editor in chief of PlayStation Magazine, and then today he's at Nintendo. Oh, that's wow. just a cool. This is a cool career path for him. He's saying. Then there's the Mortal Kombat question. Players were mad enough when Nintendo kept a claim from including a blood code and the real fatalities. But what does this mean for future arcade conversions? Fans of Mortal Kombat 2 are already dreading what's sure to be another cream puff SNES version of the year's <laughs> hottest coin op. And no matter what side you take on the video game violence issues, Nintendo's no blood policy still means new sales for Sega. This is just I mean, right they, in the middle of that. Well, here's how that was resolved. They added a bunch of blood into Mortal Kombat 2, and it was really popular on Super Nintendo still. Yep, that's true. But Sam, look, Pinball Frenzy. <clears throat> oh yeah, what do we got, TNG? Yeah, I got Star Trek. Uh, they're talking about how pinball is Star Trek, starting to have a resurgence in arcades. That almost overnight, William Star Trek: The Next Generation has become mm-hmm. a top earner, largely due to the impressive CD quality sound bites. Oh yes, taken from cast regulars. Yeah, you know when you play that game, um, and uh, there's a there's a time when you drain, and sometimes there's a little Easter egg where Data will come on and start lecturing you about the trajectory of your ball, and you can hit both buttons on the on the flippers and cancel him from saying that and picard says thank you data yeah thank you mr data you can, <laughs> you can so interrupt him. you can interrupt the game and cut him off it's the best <laughs> they also say bram stoker's dracula manages to get movie footage into standard pinball fare yep bsd that's a that's a very uh, we we played that game together uh, across the street from the ign office on second street it was in the pizza place oh okay what, that Tony's? That was Tony's, right? Yeah, um, yeah that and Black Knight. But I think there's something fishy about this pinball feature. It seems a little random. I think I might have an explanation. The other f- games they've listed are all video pinball games, starting with Super Pinball Behind the Mask on what? Genesis, I guess that would be? No, Super Weird. Nintendo. A game I'd never heard of. They feature uh, Kirby's Pinball on Game Boy. They go mm-hmm. down, you know, Devil's Crush crew ball on Genesis pinball for the NES uh, Sonic spinball pinball dreams, which was what on um, a PC game mm-hmm. and then virtual pinball for Genesis. Oh, also uh, a PC game mm-hmm. with the reason I think it's a little bit funny is later on, we have an ad for super pinball behind the mask. Mm. Nice. Includes a quote from this, from this magazine, <laughs> serious pinball for serious pinball oh, wow. players. Weird. So I think it's sponsored content that isn't yeah. Uh, labeled. Yeah, or, yeah just yeah. not labeled as sponsored. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, tisk tisk. Here's an ad for introducing PC Gamer, which I believe is just the PC Gamer we have today. Yeah, still yep. around. 
That's it's just cool to see that back in 1994. Uh, and then in our tip section, there's a tip for Aladdin where you uh, you could reveal uh, what is it, David Perry's face, in the test screen. Asking David Perry what is his wish for Battletoads and Double Dragon. They've got warp codes. And what was the other one? Oh yeah, here's the Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo. Uh, well, all you mortal maniacs can't get enough blood. We'll get a load of these game genie codes. So I guess I, I guess I misunderstood. With game genie, you could add blood to Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo. I, mean, I didn't know that, but it sounds like it color swaps the sweat for blood. Yeah, yeah. and you can choose the color. It can be green blood, yeah. bright yeah, green nice. blood, yellow blood. Yeah, so it's just like a palette swap, right? Yeah, I I didn't know. I yeah, that's a weird thing for a game genie to pull yeah. off. Too agreed. But all the things are, I, I guess, in the end. Yeah. But that's a cool one. Anyway, final pages. Yes, that's Super Pinball behind the mask. Suspicious mm-hmm. advertisement with a quote from this very magazine. And that's Game Players Magazine. Not one of the uh, better known magazines of the time, but I think that was still. Which, by the way, that means they had advanced copy of their article as well before print, which is that much more suspicious. Wow, good point. And that brings us to Video Game 20 Questions. And don't worry, Sam, the question that you thought was a good question, we'll put in next episode. Our suggestion for 20 questions this week. You do. It was the, the one that he the dropped reader, in Slack. Yeah, the reader question. Yeah, we have a good reader question oh, that okay. we'll just move to next week. Our 20 questions suggestion this week comes from Spencer Oswald from Starkville, Mississippi. Let mm. the questioning begin. What are the Mississippians into? Well, well, also, did you win last week? No, they I, did not win. <clears throat> Maybe they could have used Sam's help, I think. It was, uh, what was it? Is it a spoiler to say what it was? Not not at this point. Close. Close. That is close, actually. It was Adventures of Lolo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would have got that. Yeah. Uh, Should we we do the classic? um, Could it be in that magazine? Should we do that? Yeah, please. It, it, It could not. Inconceivable. Unlike ray tracing. Uh, is this game on the Nintendo Switch? Um, oh, please. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Well, we need search computer, music. We get to use it. <laughs> no, but we do. We do need hold music. I think, Justin. I think in a roundabout way, yes. Yeah, basically, yes. Oh, so like maybe. What's that mean? What do you? Like a sequel? Well, this is going to be fun. A port or... <laughs> I don't know. I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't... I don't... This is just is ridiculous. It, was it made in Japan? Yes. Okay. Maybe it's on um, Nintendo Online or something. Mm-hmm. That's not very roundabout. That's just on Switch. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but you, could, you can't, like, buy it. Mm-hmm. Um... What, uh, does this have 3D graphics? Yes. Okay. Was this made? Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, is it uh, an RPG? Yes, that's fine. Oh, whoa, that was awesome. Nice. All right, so some 3D RPG. Um, uh, is this... I don't know where to go with this. I'm thinking is Kingdom it, Hearts. Are any of them on the Switch? Oh, like, are they streaming versions on the in Switch? A, in a roundabout way. <laughs> uh, I don't is, know. Is this game made by Square or Enix or Square Enix? Yes. <laughs> cool. Good. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, maybe, like, I, I, think what, I think Kingdom Hearts 3 is streaming on the Switch, right? Or did I dream that? Or there's like remakes, there's like, you know, the Chrono Cross remake or stuff like that that I think might be on Switch. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's Final Fantasy stuff. Is this part of um, a final, the Final Fantasy series? Yes. Damon, Damon's not sure. Kingdom Hearts is not no, part of the Final Fantasy close. series. I think we definitely know it's Kingdom Hearts. No, <laughs> no <laughs> King, King, Kingdom, Hearts, Kingdom Hearts is not associated with Final Fantasy, is it? Yeah, of I'm, course. It has characters from Final Fantasy in it. Yeah, but that's not the series. I think Damon was just reacting that way because we're getting it so close. Wait, <laughs> what's the answer to the question? <laughs> Wait, didn't you say, wasn't the question, is this part of the Final Fantasy series? And then you said yes. I right? said yes. 
<laughs> it's okay. Does this have so, Disney characters in it? Yes. Okay. okay. It's okay. It's a Kingdom Hearts game. Which ones came to Switch? I have no idea. And also the titles are, are unknowable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this a mainline Kingdom Hearts game? Yes. Okay. I mean, I think we're in trouble One, two, though. Three. I, is, is this just, I don't know. This is like such a cheapy question, but none of us know Kingdom Hearts well enough. Like, is this game, does this game have three in its title? No, I think we can just say, is this the latest one in the series? But the, okay, sure. Is this the latest one in the series? No, that's 10. Okay. Is it the first of the series? Yes. Okay. There you have it. Is this Kingdom Hearts? Yes, in 12 Look questions. That. That's good. Nice. Uh, yeah, so. Wow, Tina, I gotta say, is this an RPG? Yeah. Was a pretty, pretty good move for <laughs> a that. Wild one. guess, and it worked out. Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yeah, his shoes are ridiculous. I'm glad they fixed his shoes. <laughs> they uh, fixed his shoes? Kingdom Hearts 1.5 HD Remix is on Switch. Oh, boy. Oh, that's, that's why, right. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. In a roundabout way, it's on Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the original is 2002, PlayStation 2. It's an action RPG. Technically, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. it's in the RPG genre. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody yeah, would dispute the RPG qualities of this game. So it, very topical yeah. because of the news of this week. Yeah. Right. That yeah. was that was the meta. Mm-hmm. That yes. was the meta. Announcing uh, big games on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe it was technically Monday in Japan. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it, so they're just Final Fantasy characters in it, but it's not like... Mm-hmm. But they had to get there somehow. They're still characters. I mean, yeah, they had to get there somehow. Yeah, I mean, get, technically, the- Final Fantasy is such a you know different environment per per series. So mm-hmm. uh, as part of the series, so yeah, makes sense. They, are they going to do a Star Wars Land in Kingdom Hearts Four? That's the theory. And That's Marvel? The theory. I don't know. I haven't heard about Marvel one, but I mean, at this point, Marvel's more popular than Star Wars, so they probably should. Anyway, nicely job, everyone. Thank you for the suggestion. Spencer, Mississippi. Viewers and listeners, if you have your own suggestions for video game 20 questions, email them to me at the email address gamescoop at IGN.com. And that is all the scoops that we have for you this week. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Justin. Thank you to Alan working behind the scenes to make this episode possible. My name is Damon. This is IGN GameScoop. And we're out.
Congratulations.